0: Hi, Netflix has sure got some weird movies, and today on Movies Are Good, we're ranking their biggest releases from the first half of 2023. But first, we're checking out Gran Turismo, the cookie true story racing game movie designed to make gamers think they can do real boy things. I'm a gamer, so I'm allowed to say that and make fun of the fact that we can't. Also, we're checking out Haunted Mansion, the cookie movie that's once again all about Disney testing the waters of turning their rides into movies, and once again, doesn't look like it's going to work. And I also watched Ouija Shark, so we're going to talk about that, apparently. So you should stick around! First up was Gran Turismo, and I also wasn't expecting to find much enjoyment in this, honestly. it's It seemed from all the promotional material just, like, too much of a... I don't know... Too much of a mindless movie to even be enjoyed in a kind of mindless way. You know what I mean? And I've had a few of those recently that I've just I've tried to switch off my brain for and still couldn't enjoy it. Um, and okay... <clears throat> First of all it's it feels like a lot of this would be unbearably annoying and random but it's got the excuse that it's based on a true story so you kind of it, you kind of let it go to a degree okay for that because you're like well the story is what the story was they've mixed about a few things they they put for the third act drama as this big dramatic crash that happened like 4 years after everything else in the movie but yeah just fine you know you kind of you kind of go fine for all that because it's hollywood and i guess because all of the true events happened in kind of like 2010 or so we can excuse some of how cheesy and early noughties the whole thing feels especially a lot of the dialogue but yeah Anyway, the story itself is about a young guy from the UK that is really annoying to listen to. Everything he says makes him sound like he's just from the past. Okay, I know it was it was 2010 or whatever when the film happened, all these events, but oh, it just it just feels earlier than that. Speaking of early noughties, by the way. Orlando Bloom is here. can't remember the last time I said that. Where did he come from? He's been gone for like ages. He's the marketing guy at Nissan who tries to get the idea approved for the fastest Gran Turismo video game players to compete in an academy to become an actual, real, professional race car driver. And David Arbour is here playing grumpy middle-aged man who never lived up to his potential. It's fascinating to me that he's able to play every David Arbour character ever, while also playing every racing movie coach Ever. But he nailed it, yeah. It was good casting. Uh, he's kind of slightly antagonistic for the first half. Has the opportunity to explain how this is not a game, this is real. About, like, 150 times. Oh my god. <laughs> it comes up a lot. Um, all this said, and all this, you know, mocked. I, I just, I didn't really hate the idea of this movie, you know? And despite it being overly corny at times, reminiscent of, like, Speed Racer or Tron Legacy... Other films from the noughties, it really feels like this should have been made 15 years ago. I know that the true-life events hadn't happened yet, but just the style they've used throughout this, it feels like it should have come out way, way long time ago. <laughs> and I probably would have enjoyed it even more, because I did enjoy it, but I would have enjoyed it even more if I was watching this in, like, 2008. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, it, it feels rushed. That's one of my big complaints, before I get to more of what I liked about it. It feels pretty well rushed, the The opening bit, you know? And it's worth mentioning that the whole GT Academy thing, that was like a reality show, which it doesn't mention in this. And he was not the first winner. He was like the third season he was on, when he won. and got to, So other Gran Turismo players had already gone from video game to actual race car. He, you know, the film tries to make it seem like he was the first, and no, it wasn't. But anyway it is quite rushed because they come up with the idea. Orlando Bloom has a whole scene where he's pitching the idea of doing this and the kid's showing how frustrated he is because his dad likes football. He doesn't like football and his dad thinks he's a waster. And he kind of is. He sits around playing Gran Turismo all day and he quit college and he's just sitting in his parents' house at like age 19. So, (laughs) like... It, it's all, Dad, just let me do my thing and stuff. And, and it's all, oh, God, oh, parents, they don't get it and stuff. And yes, there's an element of that, but also, like, how likely was this to fucking happen? You know, that <laughs> you actually get picked for this thing. Like, how likely was that to happen? And you weren't really going anywhere with your life. So I, I I feel bad for getting to the stage in life where I understand it more from the parents' perspective than the kids. But the kid, just he, he was a bit out of line, and the film does not address that. <laughs> At any point, it's just kind of like, yeah, I was right. I was proven right, Dad. 1000000 watt odds. Pew, 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 pew fucking whatever. But the first 45 does feel rushed because it, it fits in all of that. And then he's got this qualifying race on the game that he gets invited to and he wins. And it rushes through all of that. And then all the training in the actual, like, GTA Academy thing. Because he's, he's up against all these other racers in Europe in the video game trial, and he wins that. And then he's up against all these racers from around the world in the real trials, racing in the real cars. And he's got to come number one again to get through all that. And it's just kind of like, yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did it. Another stage. Yeah. And then that's kind of all done within the first hour. And you're like, whoa, light speed. And it's fair enough because they wanted to make the film about, you know, the film the point of the film is he can race against other racers, not he can race against other video game players. So it's fair enough. But yeah, even, over, even being, I think, just a bit over two hours, it felt quite rushed in the first half. The second half then, though, much better. I, I enjoyed it a lot more, you know. <laughs> My biggest problem was the best rivalry he had, really, was with one of the other video game drivers, who then comes and helps him out later and is on his team. But there's this golden car douchebag that kind of speaks out against him and is like, "Immers shouldn't be in real races and stuff like that. It's dangerous. But he it, it doesn't actually have a lot of proper interaction with him, you know? It's just, oh, there's the dick in the gold car again. Let's get him. <laughs> it's it's not a lot of proper interaction there, so it was kind of a weird, like, pivot halfway to now we're introducing this villain character who's the main villain for the rest of it. Okay. <laughs> so that was my... That was some of my problems with it, okay? The second half, though. Yeah, I gotta say. Days of Thunder, Rush, and Speed Racer. If you combine them all, this probably still has more actual racing scenes, okay? (laughs) It's got loads of them. It doesn't, you know, it's not strong on dialogue. And normally that's a bigger deal for me, but in this, it's so blatantly kind of going, we don't care, because we're all about that racing scene, yo. That is the way they would actually say it. I know it sounds very early noughties. They've got me in the style now. Um, and yeah, it's good. All the racing scenes are, are good. Again, like once he gets to the actual circuit and he's actually racing proper drivers and he has to get fourth place in one of these six races or higher so that he can get his FIA license or whatever. Also kind of feels rushed, if I'm being honest. But those scenes are well enough done. There's a surprising smack of... Obviously, he has a big crash, and there's a surprising smack of emotional drama in there, you know? I thought the whole thing was going to be, oh, I had a crash, now I'm scared to get back in the car. There was a little bit of that, but mostly the focus was on other things around that period, and it was like, damn! And then they go, well, now they don't want us here because we had a crash, and they're like, gamers are dangerous, so we have to come on the podium in the 24-hour Le Mans race. <laughs> and you're going to like, oh, what? And... It does feel weird that, it's the it's the true story, so what can you do? But it does feel weird that the whole point of it is, yes, let's just get third. Let's just get on the podium and we're champions. Okay. <laughs> and they build the film around this kind of like, yep, no, we only get champion when we get on a podium and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, okay. So they did it fine considering that, but it, it is kind of... He won the qualifying race. He won the GT Academy. He got the fourth place there. No, he's ready for the big win. He's ready for the big third place end of the film. Hooray! <laughs> and it is really done. It's, it's done well, you know? For what they had to work with, it's a really well-made film, you know? The, some of the driving scenes and stuff are particularly thrilling. They're very well executed. I don't overly love the lead, as as a character, the actor I kind of thought was, like, good enough at it, you know. But I, it was hard to tell if I even liked him that much because I just didn't like the character that much. But it kind of comes good more so as the film goes on. Uh, I really liked David Arbour and Orlando Bloom's characters. They bounced off each other really well. Surprise, fun pairing. Um, and I don't, you know, I've I've complained about it a lot here, but I did actually enjoy it. Quite well. It it was a pretty enjoyable time. I maybe partially those scenes just worked that well because I was seeing it in the cinema. The dialogue problems and stuff that are there might bother me more if I was watching it outside of the cinema. When kind of big, cool action scenes have less effect overall. But you know, it's it's not it's not Top Gun. It's not Top Gun, and it's nowhere near as good. But it's it's kind of in a similar vein, just a kind of. It's, it's Top Gun light, if you will. So I'm giving Gran Turismo a surprisingly high 7 out of 10, which I just didn't think was coming. And next, ah, you know, if I was really not excited when I went into Gran Turismo, I was even less excited going into Haunted Mansion. They made another Haunted Mansion movie, and I mean, 20 years they waited, which is isn't long enough for a remake, but, you know, Disney are currently working on a live-action Moana. So, (sighs) kudos, I guess, for waiting as long as 20 years. (laughs) They only waited 20 years on this one because the first Haunted Mansion movie really didn't do that well or make a lot of money. (laughs) And I just, I, I think this one is the one where they'll actually discover that even though it feels, in essence, like it's a good IP on paper... It's just, there's just, it's not there. <laughs> With Haunted Mansion, it's just not there. I can't tell you why. It's just not, okay? Try a Tower of Terror movie, okay? I'll be on board for that. <laughs> I'd be on board for that. I mean, they've done a Twilight Zone movie, I guess. But if you do a proper Tower of Terror movie, I'd be down. I also prefer the ride. Been to Disney World, Haunted Mansion ride. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's like the best ride in the park. It's not. Pirates of the Caribbean also isn't, to be fair. And that one worked out. So, you know, uh, but still. They do a different story this time. They do. It's still Gracie Mansion but there's this sad widow guy that quit his astrophysicist job to do his wife's ghost tours after she died. Ooh. And there's this widowed lady who just doesn't seem that sad. Even though their spouses have been dead a same amount of time, she just doesn't seem to care that much. And she's She's playing it up and being happy for her kid, I'm sure. And she's also kind of worrying about the ghost, so that's fair enough, I guess. But yeah, her character is just weirdly pretty happy and doesn't have a lot of interaction with him based on the fact they're both recent widowers. Ever. Nope. You know why? Because they wanted to leave it, despite the fact that all these characters are living in the same house for, I think, weeks. They kind of don't mention the fact That the dad is dead. So that they can leave it as a big shock reveal. For the very end of the film. And that was stupid. (laughs) That was so stupid to me. That was insane. Um, There's also other insane shit. But in general the idea that this widow and her son. They go, they buy this mansion. It's never explained how they're so rich that they bought a mansion. But anyway, they move in, they find ghosts, and she literally goes, Nope, peace out. But, ah, they leave, but the ghosts follow them and make them return by getting more violent, the longer they stay away. And then they invite people in, tricking them so that they'll come in, and then they'll not be able to leave, and then they'll have to help them. Genius. So you got Lakeith, who's a sad widower. He's got this camera. He developed this camera with his astrophysicist abilities that can capture ghosts on camera. Pretty important plot point. Not really. No. Breaks like after 10 minutes. Um, but then there's Owen Wilson and he's a priest and that's important. They're going to need a proper priest to help them with an exorcism. right? No, he's not a real priest. He's not a real priest. That's pretty obvious early on but they also leave that as like a big reveal for later. Oh, geez. The writing is something. And then there's Tiffany Haddish. She's a, a medium who just doesn't have as good a Connection with the spirit world is like half the other characters. Yeah, she's pretty useless too, actually. And not that funny for a Tiffany Haddish character, but uh, yeah, whatever. And then there's Danny DeVito, who's also there. Yeah, oh my god. This was just a weird hodgepodge. Um, I, by, the, by the time they brought them all together and they were like, ah, yes, the scientist, the priest, the widow, the kid, the professor, the medium. I was kind of like, are, are we... Is one of them going to get killed? Is this Pluto? Like, what? This <laughs> was very strange. And they did do a proper scene where they were like, we need to recruit more people from around town to help us out here. Yeah, I know this professor over here that could be really good at this sort of stuff. And the medium, we're going to need a medium. It was a proper, like, heist movie recruiting scene. And it felt dumb. And most of it does feel dumb. And there are weird emotional punches, okay? This film, it, it is at its best... When it is doing either some genuinely kind of spooky scenes, horror movies I watch a lot of them. They don't normally like freak me out really at all anymore. Most of them. There were some scenes in this that I was kind of going oh, and I just I was never traumatized by like the Eddie Murphy movie growing up. But holy shit, if I was a kid watching some of these scenes now, I would be a little bit traumatized. And as far as I'm aware, it's still meant to be a family friendly film. But there is a whole lot of talk about grief. Deep talk about grief. We've handled, we've seen grief handled in like kitty related adjacent films before. I feel like this went a little far. and, And the guy was like, the finale is the guy about to like willingly die. Because he just doesn't want to go on living because he's so sad about his wife dying. Like, it's deep. So there's a lot of drama. There's some comedy, which it, some of it's okay, but it doesn't really do it that well. And then there's genuine spookiness. And, yeah, I don't know. It's such a weird hodgepodge, this film. It's such an amalgamation of really varied stuff that just left me going, eh? <laughs> just, eh? Just, huh? At some of what they were doing. It was quite bizarre. Um, it just oscillates. Sometimes at the speed of light between comedy, actually sort of scary, and just sad drama movie. Lakeith's character is the main character in the movie, and his entire thing is, yeah, I would kind of be okay with dying at this stage. I do not give a fuck because I am so sad. So it's a really fun movie. It it does not hardly ever feel like a family movie. <laughs> no, no. So I don't understand what was going on here. They decided to make another haunted a haunted bunch movie. It's a completely dead IP. So already, you know, strike one. You fucked up. Why are you making this movie? Step two was they released it in August. (laughs) They released it in August. How? Under the name of the gods do you not release this in October? I don't understand. Is Disney releasing something else big in October this year? Another family-friendly alternative to going to see an actual horror movie in cinemas? Because... I don't think so (laughs) I'd have to check the calendar but I don't think so and there's just no earthly reason or beyond earthly reason to not release this in October so that was strike two and strike three is just what the fuck is the tone of this it doesn't feel made for families and if you're not doing any Disney live action kind of movie that's not really based for families you have fucked up massively so that's strike three And it doesn't look like they're really going to get away with it and make a lot of money from this one. So I think we're just going to, ironically, let the Haunted Mansion franchise die with this one. (laughs) And I I will say that the third act more so, the third act more so feels like it's actually family friendly, you know? The whole point is there's this evil ghost, there's a lot of ghosts, but there's this evil ghost. He's the real scary one. He's got 999 souls and a bitch is going to be (laughs) one. Thousandth, yeah. Um, look, it's got a big cast, okay? There is an awful lot of speedy exposition work at different times. The core of the film is just grief. I think films are just getting sadder, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't feel that surprising in a way that, that they just made the core of it grief. But, I will say, there's some good scenes, there's some good moments that I really enjoyed. I really like Keith Stanfield and Danny DeVito trying to get the police, um, what do you call it, like, face- drawer <laughs> I've completely forgotten the term. Sketch artist. Yeah, to to draw the ghost for them and then he does it perfectly. That was really funny. And Lakeith at the end finds this cat. His wife died when she went to get teeter tots, and then he finds this big gorgeous fluffy cat outside his apartment that's been trying to get in all film and he checks the name tag and it's called Tater Tot. And I, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. It was oh, that got me. That really got me, you know? Um but Apart from that, I don't know. I don't think overall it's a very good movie. I maybe prefer it to the original, you know? I, I Even growing up watching it, it came out when I was, like, six. It was kind of the perfect time. I watched it a bunch of times, Eddie Murphy 1. I never really liked it that much, I don't think. Um, but you're not going to set up a new IP with this. And if you take away, like, three or four of the bigger cast members, this could probably pass for a Disney Plus original movie, you know? But it's got some nice tender moments, It's not a bad sort of family fun thing, a little too dramatic, a little too spooky at times for kids, but the final act, the final act mostly felt like it dove more into kind of family fun-centric style. Though, yeah, it was pretty dumb too, honestly. So neither this nor Gran Turismo hit really the lows I was expecting for them, but I feel like I'm a little generous giving Haunted Mansion 6 out of 10. Wait a second. This movie is Terrible. Movies are bad. Movies are bad. Ouija Shark is the unbelievable answer to the question, what have I been watching this week, while drinking heavily. Yeah, no kidding. I made a game of it. I've watched so many of these at this stage, I was like, this time I'm going to have a little fun with it. I'm going to make a little game out of it. So here's what I did. I instituted some rules. And if you want to look up Find Ouija Shark somewhere, I had to buy it on DVD to find it, but maybe you'll be able to find it somewhere. I made a drinking game. So I took a drink every time they pronounced Ouija wrong. Sometimes they pronounce it hoo-ha, genuinely. Sometimes they pronounce it weja, wedja, or something like that. And it was just wrong. Um, I took a drink every time a shark appears somewhere that sharks don't go. You know? um, and I, I took a sh- uh, drink every time they should have done a second take, but just kind of clearly didn't even do, like, a second take. Never mind, like, Eight. Um They just they just kind of took the first shot, even times where, like, people were just looking at the camera, or they stopped moving away from the camera and just kind of turned around to look at the camera and be like, huh? Eh? <laughs> Those were still in the movie. Um, and then, okay, I had more. I added during, over the course of the film, that you should take a shot every time someone takes their top off. Yeah. And you should finish your drink every time, wait for it, Somebody has a magical firefight with a shark. I got plastered. The movie is only 60 minutes long. It's genuine. It's, it's only one hour flat, but I got plastered. And also, the first five minutes, genuinely, I, I, I was checking as I went through it because I was just like, no way. The first five full minutes, without even credits running really, during it, are just a woman walking through a forest. It is a full. It is it's it's baffling. Yeah, it's a full twelfth of the film. It's just her walking at the start, and then she takes off her shirt. That was the first shot. It was not the last. And she finds a Ouija board, and then the other girls, her friends, arrive for their chill weekend or whatever. And one of them. I swear to God, she goes off. Her name is Tiffany. And I followed the story of Tiffany very carefully with a lot of interest. She goes off immediately after they get to the house. She finds a guy washing his car and joins him for half the movie. (laughs) There is one scene where it shows her taking off her shirt and washing it with him. And then just everything that happens over the rest of the film just involves the other four girls. She's like the friend that wanders off at the beginning of the party and returns right at the end. Uh, uh, it's really, yeah. I <laughs> don't know why, but um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, 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 I feel like that was the first time when she went and joined him to help wash his car and took off her shirt during the process. That it, the film, and I almost added this as a rule that maybe I should take a drink every time the film could. And perhaps should have just evolved into porn. Because there are a good number of occasions when that just, it would have been the better option than what they did. (laughs) Like, honestly, I have watched so many of these and there has never been more times where I went, wait, is this actually just porn? But it never, it never actually delves into it. Nobody ever actually, they take off their shirts a lot, but there's never actually any like actual nudity, like proper nudity, you know? Just It just feels like a lot of times, maybe they just should have, you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But anyway, the four of them, because Tiffany is still off washing that car, they put their hands on the Ouija board, and it spells out hungry. Makes sense, right? It's a shark. It's a ghost shark. It's hungry, yeah. And, you know, I hate to do this. I do, because I, I know all too well by now that it's a fruitless task nitpicking films like this, which have such a huge degree of terribleness. But I just, I gotta point out this one thing, okay? Because it bothered the fuck out of me. The shark spelled out hungry. Sharks can't spell. They don't show it over them doing it but the ghost shark is just like sitting there using a fin or whatever to direct their hands to spell out hungry but sharks can't spell it made me feel like I completely lost my mind there's only so many of these films you can watch that are this terrible man it I am gone (laughs) I need a break oh it is it is just nuts it is just absolutely mental um there are so many scenes where the sound quality, it just breaks the mic levels. There are scenes that just, the, the yeah, I feel like I did get particularly nitpicky at times with this one. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just because there was only 60 minutes of it. So there's only so much to judge. <laughs> Some of the others have not been much longer than this. But I think this was maybe the shortest film I've done for Movies Are Bad. It was, I mean, technically a a film is a feature film at 40 minutes, I found out, recently. So I guess, sure, but, oh my god. But yeah, the main girl, she has multiple nightmares about the shark. Because there's no need to, you know, rush the plot along. It's not like the film is only 60 minutes or anything. She gets worried. She calls her dad, who's the best character, by the way. He knows all about manifestations. Not about Ouija shark. Because, yeah... I guess that's fortunate, at least, that even the characters in the film are confused. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite scenes is, is the I think, the first time the shark kills someone. Because the, the four girls, because Tiffany's still off washing the car. The four girls summon the shark with the Ouija board. But then the shark just kind of goes out into the forest and kills this couple. But before it does, they say the line, wait for it. Is that a shark or a ghost? personally i've never seen a ghost shark and thought oh is that a ghost <laughs> but you do you yeah um and that then the shark kind of it, it goes off kills them then comes to the house kills one of the girls while she's high never in my life i've seen bad acting in these movies god i've seen some bad acting in these movies i think the prize for worst acting i've ever seen in a movie goes to the girl pretending she's high and seeing the shark in the pool and going, What? Oh, it was bad. But then the shark kills her, but then goes away again. Doesn't kill any of the other girls at the house. Then it goes to a bar and kills some guy there. It's, yeah. And then it comes back to the girls and it kills the rest of them, except for two, because Tiffany turns back up. Swear to God. They were clearly making the film over a weekend or something, and the girl just had to leave. And then, and then came back at the end or whatever. But that's what happened. She disappears. She washes a car. She takes off her shirt. Full half the film later, she reappears for one scene where she's just running with the main girl. Unexplained where she came from. And dies immediately. <laughs> but then the main girl's all like, I'm going to kick this shark's ass. And gets a shotgun and fights off the shark with the shotgun. Don't ask how you fight off a ghost shark with a shotgun. It doesn't matter. And And then her dad grabs this crystal ball and goes take me and then the shark kills him and then he goes into the ghost after world because he's dead and fights the shark there in a magical firefight and at that point i was already pretty pretty drunk pretty quick but at that point i had to dine like a whole drink and, <laughs> and i'm not even sure i remember the end that clearly after that it was bad the shark still, like, there's this whole thing about him going, I've got these magical powers, and starts yelling out his moves like an he's in an anime. I think this film is meant to be funny. It's not. It's not. But it, you know, it happened. Yeah. And, uh, and uh yeah, then the dad clearly failed because the shark comes after her again, but she just shoots the Ouija board with a shotgun and the shark's dead. And then... And I'm still not entirely sure that I didn't, like, dream this up out of some sort of weird hallucination because I was so drunk. But at the end, they reveal as a final haha moment that Donald Trump is behind the Ouija shark. The Donald Trump impression they do is quite unfortunate. Yeah. Not as in I like Donald Trump. I don't. I very much don't. I'm just... It was It was so bad. That whole scene was horrifying. It might be the most horrifying thing I've seen in any of these movies. Not to say overall that this movie was the worst I've seen. I think it was probably better than Shark Exorcist. It was probably better than Raiders of the Lost Shark. And it was definitely better than Tsunami. Because that's still the worst. But yeah, worse than like 99% of things that have ever happened. It's about on par, I think, this film with Donald Trump getting elected president. So I'm giving Ouija Shark 1 out of 10. And, of course, I should mention, dear, dear listeners, you're always free to comment wherever you watch. Can you comment on Spotify? I don't know. And suggest equally appalling things for me to watch, because I'll probably do it. I normally do, but... Like, if you wanted to surprise me with something that's actually kind of funny one of these times, that would be okay, too. You know? I'm sad. These are making me sad. It's ranking time! (laughs) Here's the thing about the average Netflix movie. It is bad. Yes, Netflix historically prefer quantity over quality. And if you watch 20 different Netflix movies, you'll probably get like three or four actually good ones. And I know that because I've watched far more than 20 Netflix movies. But I'd fallen a touch behind recently, and I decided we might just want to review their recent attempts. So I've gone and watched 10 different Netflix movies that released in the first half of this year. Pretty much all the major ones that are in English. And I got pretty much what I've come to expect from them, honestly. Yeah, let's rank them from worst to best. Ten. So we're starting with Chupa. Yes, a bad movie. (laughs) Yeah, It's a bad movie. It's not, look, it's not egregiously bad, and perhaps the most surprising thing is that after watching ten Netflix movies, this is as weak as it got. It's about a little boy who goes to spend the summer with his grandfather and cousins in Mexico, and while there he meets a baby Chupacabra. And from there we get... I swear to God, we just get E.T., yeah. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it. He wants to get the thing home. He befriends it first, takes a surprisingly long time doing that part because he's learning about his grandpa and his Alzheimer's, which is, I swear to God, played off for comedy. Yeah. In the climax of the film, his granddad forgets that he's old and reverts to being a luchador in a full mask and everything and drops a big elbow on Christian Slater. And they treat it like some funny kind of He's hypnotized into being a wrestler thing instead of Alzheimer's. <laughs> I swear to God, it was... wow, That was a choice. Um, oh, by the way, Christian Slater is the only recognizable name, really. He's the incompetent government agent trying to find the chupacabra. and then they get it they get the chupacabra back to its mother, and everything turns out just happy, simple, fine times yeah Chupa is not good. It is one of those I get what it's trying to do, and it accomplishes most of it on like the most basic fundamental levels, but pretty much in the laziest fashion possible and that was an egregious fault like the the there were two hmm three. I'll say there were three egregious faults, okay The first one's the c g i the superca looks horrifying most of the time. I understand that they probably didn't have a huge budget for this one, so that's you know. Not great, but okay. The second one is the child actors, especially the main one. Oh, my God. There's three child actors. It's same and his two cousins. But he, the main kid, did not think he was good. No. No, didn't think he was good. And the script wasn't good, so what can you do with it, in a way? But I don't normally notice, ooh, that child actor is a bad actor. And I, I did with this one, so I thought I should point it out. Um, I feel bad, like, making fun of a kid's performance, but, you know... Come on. And the third one is the Alzheimer's thing, because that made me go, oh, Jesus Christ, are you kidding? Is that actually what they're doing? And it was. So overall, bad time. Don't go near it. I'm giving Chupa 2 out of 10. Nine. Next up is You People. Also not very good, no. Jonah Hill's hair is more horrific in this film than the entirety of Sierra Burgess is a loser, which is one of the worst Netflix films I've ever seen. Long may it remember. Like, just not... <laughs> Long may it remember... Not being... No. Just go away. Yeah. Sarah Burgess is loser. Awful. But you people... Also pretty bad. <laughs> it's about Jonah Hill as a character who falls in love with Lauren London. A black woman. And that's... Weird? I don't know. They, everyone acts like that's weird. And I get... You know... Um, yeah. It's a bit of culture shock. Because he's from a Jewish family. And she's from a Nation of Islam family. And then when their families come together, it's weird and awkward. But, like... Okay, I know I know, racial sensitivity in America especially is, like, a big thing at the moment. It's a big topic. But are we not past this stage? Like, honestly? Guess Who's Coming to Dinner came out almost 60 years ago. Back then, it was, like, record-breaking, you know, because it was still legal when that came out in some states <laughs> to get married for an interracial couple. Are we still there? Are we still in the place where it's like, whoa, our families don't get along, and that's really awkward, which is funny? Personally, this movie wasn't for me. A, I'm not sure if you had to be like Jewish or Nation of Islam to to find it funny in the first place. Um, So maybe it just wasn't made for me. B, I'm not American, so maybe that doesn't help. I don't know. And C, I don't like cringe comedy that much. I, I'm okay with a bit of it, but when that's the whole thing, and that was the whole thing in this film, it's just not good. It's just not good. Plus, Jonah Hill, um, I'm not a fan, normally, just in general. And this felt like a very strange role to throw him into. And they're giving him that hair. oh! And I get that there is a satirical element around like his character and everything about it. But I don't feel like it I don't feel like it comes off well. Not for me. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. And I just... It felt awkward. And the cringe comedy going on that much for that long and being the whole point of the film doesn't work. And Eddie Murphy also didn't feel like he was doing much to help it out or save it, really. So I'm giving you people 3 out of 10. I, it shouldn't really have been able to be that bad. But full, full, all in on cringe comedy. Ugh, I couldn't stand it. 8... The first animated effort on this list is The Magician's Elephant. Netflix doesn't make good films in general, but I've always been a huge advocate for checking out any Netflix animated movie that comes out because they've had so many good ones in the last, like, five years or so. It's mind-blowing. They are on a run that... I mean, they've had probably more than, like, releases in animated terms in the last five years than any of the major animation companies, but they're... Their run in the last five years is pretty much as good as any of those companies. Better than some of them. It's really impressive. But The Magician's Elephant was a blip. Yeah. Even I, being very forgiving of any of the faults that these animated films have for Netflix, because I'm, I'm such a big fan of so many of them, even I couldn't really get excited or interested in this one. It, just, it didn't appeal to me from initially hearing about it, to trailer, to seeing it. Nothing ever got me going at all with it. Um, It's... yeah, it's just kind of ass. Um, <laughs> there's this town, which was happy in the past, but now it's sad, because there was a war. Just, yeah, not explained. And there's this orphan who finds out his sister is still alive, and to find her, he has to follow the elephant. He finds out just from a psychic that he has to follow the elephant. Only problem is, <laughs> elephants aren't real. Yeah, magic is real in this world, but elephants aren't. Until a magician accidentally conjures one with magic. And then this elef- or this kid needs to complete three impossible tasks for a weird rich count guy to obtain the elephant so it can lead him to his sister. Why in a world where magic is real does he use emotional manipulation and a parachute to complete these impossible tasks? Because... <sighs> The movie is bad at world building and writing. Yep. (laughs) It's it's, it's just not good. It's it's not terrible. It's sweet and nice enough. But it's a little hard to get over how trashy and half-assed the whole thing feels. Yeah. It just doesn't really feel like a lot of effort went into coming up with anything around it. And I think it was based on a book. I'm guessing the book explains some of this stuff better and does a better job of it. But... Ugh. I, I'm still not going to bother checking it out. I don't really hate this one, but I feel like I'm a, l- a little bit generous giving the least magical magic movie ever four out of ten. Seven. The mother is just this insane thing. <laughs> it's just kind of nuts. Jennifer Lopez is like ultimate badass lady. The beginning has her pregnant, confessing to the FBI that she brokered an arms deal between these two real bad guys and was in a relationship with both of them. Honestly. The, the very quickly explained origin story sounds like a better movie than the movie. Uh, and then a bunch of FBI agents get killed. She tries to blow up one of the bad dudes. She gets away. She gives birth. But the child is taken from her and adopted by another family while she goes to live in Alaska or something for 12 years. The frozen wilderness, like a metaphor for her frozen heart or whatever. <laughs> These Netflix action movies, they they go, look, we got a proper celebrity. They're, yeah, they're mostly built around maximum dumb dramatic metaphors, action scenes that don't really make sense or properly excite, and a sequence of characters much more interesting than the lead's character. Go figure. (laughs) So the bad guys eventually steal her daughter. She gets the call and goes to work with an FBI agent she trusts and gets the girl back. All within 45 minutes. Yeah, they managed to do the whole first bit where she... Gives birth and all. The 12 years later thing. They covered her backstory with these two guys. Then she went into the giant house filled with guards. She saved the girl. And there's still an hour left. Yeah, weird movie. Weirdly built movie. It feels confusing and rushed. Despite being nearly two hours. Which is not a good sign. There's no real excuse for that. (laughs) But after getting the daughter back. And killing the bad guy. What happens? She gets in trouble again. Because there were two bad guys. And either one could be the dad. And it really... it, It... It seems like the film is about Jennifer Lopez and these two guys from her past and her origins with them and the deep emotional connection she should have with them. But she just kind of has like a two-minute conversation, kills one, 40 minutes into the film, and then barely speaks to the other one because she's so busy training her daughter. Yeah, she she gets to spend some time with her daughter. And then the film's about that, but the first half of the film wasn't about that. It's called The Mother. Like, that was always going to be the point, but... It spent so much time not doing that that it feels kind of like, huh? It's, again, like Gran Turismo. It just feels like such a hard cut right in the middle of the film where it goes, okay, so never mind any of that. No, the film's about this. <laughs> and uh, it's not great. No, no. Um, it's basically Kill Bill if it took place later, you know, and, and her daughter hadn't died because she was pregnant at one stage, right? Yeah, if her daughter, like, hadn't died. or Oh, no, the the kids survived, yeah. But she goes into a coma. So yeah, it's Kill Bill if she hadn't been in a coma. That's pretty much it. And it's pretty much a sad indictment of what happens when A-list actors sign up for a Netflix... Well, sorry, not A-list actors. When someone really current signs up for a Netflix movie, you know, Gal Gadot, Chris Hemsworth, they put it all in. But when someone who's just not really a big action star like Jennifer Lopez comes in, this is what happens. And it's kind of sad. So I'm giving The Mother 5 out of 10. Six. Murder Mystery 2 is the first of the sequels on our list. Netflix loves sequels. They've been trying to start shit for years. And they've got some that are kind of going along not too badly now. You know, Murder Mystery was fine. And Murder Mystery 2 is fine. <laughs> you know. Um, it's, it, you can't really complain about it. You know. It's so blatantly Adam Sandler being Adam Sandler is pairing with Jennifer Aniston, has worked in the past, and it does it again here, uh, you know? It, it's a kind of, Oof, why are they even married, kind of couple, because they just argue and don't seem good together as the characters, but, yeah, it's fine. They opened a detective agency after the first film, because they solved a case, one. And they suck. <laughs> the whole point of this movie is that they're not doing well at being detectives with their own detective agency, because they are bad detectives. And then they get this case because this one, this guy from the first film invites them to his wedding. And then he gets kidnapped. It's a kidnap mystery. It's not a murder mystery. But that's not... Kidnap mystery is not as catchy. So, um, And then they gallivant around. Yeah. Mark Strong is there. He's like a really good investigator detective guy. So obviously he's going to be evil. Um, you, can't just, you can't just have skilled people in these movies that are also good people. Not allowed. Uh, so yeah... They have to go up against him, and then they solve the case because his wife used to be a like hairdresser. Like, the the biggest smart thing that either of them ever, ever does in the film is her because she used to be a hairdresser. Okay. <laughs> also, Adam Sandler's character used to be, like, an actual policeman before joining her to do a detective agency, and I don't know how, because, yeah, real dumb, but it's fine. In general, it's just a very Americanized comedy. Everything Adam Sandler does feels so brutally Americanized, the comedy style. So it's not great. Make some real dumb, immature jokes. But it's an Adam Sandler movie. So, yes, we should mention it and say, Bad boy, you're dumb. But also, whatever. (laughs) You can't actually hit on him for it because it's just whatever at this point. He's been doing it for like four decades now. So, not very good. Some of the jokes were funny, others not so much. The general vibe is just one of those Adam Sandler saying "Do you straight up, it's not great, but it's watchable things. And I'm giving Murder Mystery 2, 5 out of 10. 5. 5th place goes to We Have a Ghost. And I'd say it is about half and half on this list for whether I would actually recommend checking the films out or not. I would just about recommend checking this out, but I I, I did hope it would be a little bit better. Yeah also my second david arbor film of the day but in this one you know it's quite a different role quite a different role he kind of still fit it but this was not a very david arbery role i'll admit most of his roles are pretty similar this not so much um so there's this family they move into a new house and it turns out the house is haunted Yep. But instead of Insidious, we're talking more like Casper here. Except instead of a friendly, childlike ghost, it's a friendly David Arbour-shaped ghost. But he's still childlike. He's still quite childlike, really. Yeah. And you think it's going to be an E.T. We'll become friends and I'll hide you from my parents. No. His dad finds out, like, like 15 minutes into the film. He's already put the footage of the ghost on YouTube. And then it becomes this whole, oh, we're, we're getting famous thing. And his dad is played by Anthony Mackie. So I kind of assumed oh they got Anthony Mackie for his dad role. He's he's going to be an important character. No, he was just kind of this dick who was he just wanted to get famous and ignored his son. And he came good in the final like few minutes and it was like oh he cares again. Yeah, no, I just felt like he was a horrible character, horrible person, really. Uh, I did not like him at all. But most of the film is about this kid and this girl he likes. So oh, yes, surprising amount of time spent on that. But, you know, all teenagers are horn dogs, so why not? Um, them trying to get with each other while David Arbour just kind of standing there nothing creepy about that and uh, and then they try to escape because there's these government people that want to capture him because et yeah anyway um <laughs> and there's this whole investigation they do to find out who is the ghost who was he what's his story can we help him pass on into the whatever you know thing and um surprisingly dark surprisingly gruesome crime involved in that whole thing that's kind of like oh god but it ends up fine and happy at the end. Yeah. It's a weird film. It really is. But I enjoyed it well enough. Um it's fine. It's it's in that place where I'm it's, it's in sitting sweet spot where I'm like, "Okay, I'll give we have a ghost 6 out of 10. I'm not going to rush into telling you to go watch it." 4. Fourth is the Pale Blue Eye. Wow. It's easy to forget this one even came out this year. It was about January 5th when it was released, and it feels like it's been a decade for some reason. It's a dark, drab investigative affair with so little light or happiness in it that it literally stars Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Christian Bale is a retired detective who's called in to investigate a strange hanging at a military school. Once he gets there and starts sniffing around, young cadet Edgar Allan Poe shows up and starts trying to help him. After another body is mutilated, they manage to figure out some suspects and they solve the case. But just when you thought it couldn't get darker than black magic rituals and hung bodies with their gendals removed, it does. (laughs) Oh, it does. It manages, though. The biggest surprise for me about this one is that it's a, it's a two-hour investigative thriller that's very dark, very drab. You just It seems like it should be plodding and slow-paced and just overly depressing. Way too depressing, even for the subject matter it's handling. And it's not, actually. And that's what surprised me the most. I really liked Christian Bale and Harry Melling together. I thought Harry Melling did very well. Christian Bale's character was kind of mysterious and weird and her. But then, uh, as the film goes on, I kind of go, oh, oh, oh. And I really enjoyed his character by the end. And none of the other characters matter. (laughs) Just don't matter. But, yeah, I thought it moved at a nice pace, a nice speed. And I was happy with it. By the end, I was kind of going, hmm. Instead of feeling kind of fed up or tired with it at any point, which... Honestly, yeah, these kind of long investigation films, they're it's not really my style. There's lots of them that I really enjoy, but there are, there are a lot of them where I kind of feel like, okay, it's pretty slow, especially in like the middle. Not so with this one. I thought it was really well done. I'm giving the pale blue eye seven out of ten. I'll actually recommend that one. Three. Your place or mine is an interesting one. I'm surprised. But after re-watching some of these other films, I'm not that surprised. Um, that this manages to get on my podium for the first half of the year on Netflix films. See, Netflix, and you'll notice that they made a couple other films in the first half of this year that were in English that I just didn't put on this list, even though I have seen one or two of them. It's because those are the Hallmark movies. Netflix makes actual Hallmark movies with Hallmark plots. They really are. And so I stay away from most of what they do in the field of romantic comedy because that's most of it. And it's all the fucking same and would all just kind of sit in the 3 or 4 out of 10 region. You know, inoffensive, but just dull as fuck. Um, Your place or mine isn't that. They got Ashton Kutcher, Reese Witherspoon together for their little Valentine's Day release effort, and I enjoyed it. A lot of people complained that those two didn't have any chemistry. I I mean, they weren't on screen an awful lot of the time, because they were literally on opposite sides of the continent, but... I thought they did pretty fine for since they were together. They're best friends, okay? They slept together 20 years ago. They thought it was weird, so they didn't do it again. And now he's living in New York, she in L.A., but she is going for a, I don't know, class or internship or something in New York, so he comes to live in her house in L.A. and look after her kid while she does that. And they get to know each other's lives properly, despite, I don't know, talking, it seems like, every day on the phone forever. But they didn't really know each other, well, I don't know, whatever. And then they get to see each other's lives, and then they figure, hey, maybe we should get together. Oh, yeah, actually, we're perfect for each other. And it's a, it's a nice film. It's just a nice film. Yeah. When I rewatched it, I was kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy this as much, right? I was being soft, because it was Valentine's Day, and I was feeling nice. No. No. It's just a nice film. It's not a great film. But it's kind of reverse Sleepless in Seattle or something like that, I guess. Eh, not really. Yeah, there's nothing to really compare this to, but you still feel like you've seen it before. I like the two actors. I've got no problem with either of them. Together, in the very few scenes they are together, I thought they were fine together. And yeah, his relationship with her kid is very nice. Her going out with his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend in the city and stuff. I didn't have a problem with any of it. I thought it moved along nicely and it did well. It's not great, again, I'm kind of, like, I'll I'll recommend it, but it it doesn't take a lot to be one of my top three Netflix films in the space of half a year, you know? And that's what this is. So I'm giving your place or mine, 7 out of 10. Extraction 2 gets second place. Man, June. (laughs) There are very few months ever in Netflix's history where they have released two films that I would actually recommend people to check out. But June kicked ass. Extraction 2, okay. Something great about those movie heroes who just completely cut the shit and go balls it to the wall in on mayhem. And Tyler Rick is like that. I enjoyed the first film. It was a really good one for Netflix. You know, great action scenes without anything mind-blowing. And I was kind of okay with uh, him somehow surviving all the absolute murder shots he took at the end of the last film. Because somehow, they made it even better. Tyler gets back up. Does take like half an hour into the movie before he's properly fit. You know, to be fair, I guess. It was like 90 days. Still seems pretty short, because he was legally declared dead. And yeah, but whatever. And then comes the most... Gnarly, 20, I, I haven't used the word gnarly since I last played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, but it was the most gnarly 21-minute, one-shot action sequence ever. There have been some cool action sequences in the last like 10 years as one-shot stuff catches on. But holy shit, Tyler goes into the prison, he comes out of the prison, he gets the kids out and then he gets the wife out through the courtyard. That scene from the trailer where they're in the courtyard in the prison and it's all hell breaking loose and he's having to fight off everybody with all kinds of shit. They set Chris Hemsworth on fire, 8 minutes into a 21 minute take what and then the whole take like it continues while well, they get out they go into cars they get to this like train station they get on the train the guys drop down from helicopters and it's still all the one shot i don't know how it's possible it blew my freaking mind it was totally unfathomable the only problem was i was kind of wrecked i was kind of like Holy fuck! When I when that shot finally ended, it took a couple minutes into it before I was kind of like, "Oh, they're doing like it, yeah, they're doing a proper one shot thing." And then I realized I was like, "Oh my, oh my, it's still going, it's still going, it's still going!" It blew my mind. So by the time that was done, we were still only like fifty minutes into a two hour film, and I felt exhausted. And there were other like the rest of the action scenes throughout are still really well done, but. You know, talk about, you know, blowing your load a little prematurely. <laughs> like, nothing was going to beat that. Nothing nothing in action, like basically this year. No, John Wick 4 came out this year. But, you know, it was still incredibly impressive. Um, but yeah, the action scenes after that, there's a great sequence where they're in the building, they think they're safe. But the, the boy that they just got out and safe betrays them, that little rat. Fuck, I really wish they just killed him. If they just shot him because he was clearly his father's son, they would have saved a lot of time in this film. But whatever. And uh, and then there's some more backstory about Tyler Rick's character. And you realize, what? There's some surprises. There's some little minor shocks. And they're not very surprising shocks, but it doesn't matter the context of the film. And, uh, and then he meets with his ex-wife. And he talks about the origin of why he's not with her anymore. And it's all, ooh. And then he has to... St- Kill the guy for vengeance. (laughs) Just go fight the main guy. Yep. They kind of have these, the great 21 minute sequence and that's kind of the end of the first act. And then they have the great big long sequence, which isn't one shot, but it's still really well done around the skyscraper. And then that's over and they get away and then he goes back just by himself to fight the bad guy because the film's not over yet. (laughs) And that was a good ending. It was good. And I'd be happy to see them do more of these, you know, Idris Elba turns up and is just kind of like, come work with me, whatever. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. And I'd be happy to see them do more because this is maybe the best action film Netflix has ever made. I, they've done some good ones, but this is maybe the top of the line. So I'm giving Extraction 2 a 9 out of 10. What? Top spot. There was only one place this could go. Fucking pneumonia. I'd say I'm not. I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm just not. You know, it's amazing. I said earlier, a lot of Netflix animated movies rock, and I meant it. Pneumone is a work of art. It's ingenious. It bashes your tiny face in with gay stuff so hard that it will come out of your ass. Your face will shoot through your ass like it's the piece of shit Disney executive who said this didn't fit their brand. I wonder Why? Fucking pricks. So, there's this group of knights. They protect a very modernised medieval kingdom from... Monsters? None of which have been seen in hundreds of years. But, you know, paranoia. <laughs> and when a knight who rose from a poor boy to become a true knight of the land is betrayed and framed for killing the queen... He'll go on the run and meet Nimona, an insane, shape-shifting, fire-breathing, metalhead, chaotic, neutral force of absolute devastation and hilarity. And every inch, especially if the first, like, hour after M- Nimona is introduced... Every inch of the film is fucking metal. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so action-packed. The artistic style is so free and wondrous. And the story takes a few twisty turns from there. Mostly stuff you expect, but still pretty well-executed storytelling. And the poignancy of some scenes, one in particular, you know which scene I'm talking about, was so heartbreaking and incredible. Oh, it was good. I love this film. I genuinely love this film. It came out at the end of June, but I've already seen it twice, and I'll watch it more times. It was even next-level incredible for Netflix animation, which I already loved in, you know, in the beginning. And I was already expecting high things from this, and it still broke the bank for me. I'll have to rank Netflix animated movies at some stage just to revel in the glory of some of these great ones again, because damn, they're just on a better overall run than most of the big companies for recent animated outings. And I'm giving Nimona a damn high 9 out of 10. So there you have it. Netflix has already got some fascinating stuff to catch up on from the last month or so as we enter the second half of the year and I'm excited to catch up on some of those. Desperately wishing I could avoid some of the others but nevertheless we will come to this again at the end of the year but for now the queen of 2023 Netflix is Namona, baby. And thank you guys very much for watching this episode of the Movies Good Podcast. That's right. Next week, um, well, there's, there's a few to catch up on. There's a few movies kind of coming out. August is kind of filling up very suddenly so we'll be talking about Blue Beetle. I know I said last week that I wasn't looking forward to Gran Turismo or Haunted Mansion. They both ended up better than I expected, but I'm really not looking forward to Blue Beetle. Holy crap, I cannot get myself excited. Theater Camp is coming out, which I think will be quite fun. Strays is coming out, which I... Yeah, might be okay. And The Blackening is coming out, which I think will actually be pretty funny. I'm also looking forward to Movies Are Bad. I'm planning on checking out Ape vs. Monster, which is a Godzilla vs. Kong ripoff that I don't want to watch. And we'll be ranking... The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. There's more of them than I thought. I don't know if I'm looking forward to watching all of those either. I have to dive back into Michael Bay territory. It's fine. It's fine. Thank you guys very much for watching. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure to subscribe or follow or whatever you do on whatever platform you're on. And just don't watch Ouija Shark. Just final note. And be careful what you watch on Netflix. Jesus. I'll see you next time.